friends. I'm Katie. And I'm Olivia. And we are Podcast by Proxy, Canadian True Crime. Welcome. We're live. We sure are. I made it happen that time. I'm still getting used to hitting record on two things when we're recording, so... We're getting there. We're getting there. Understandable. It's just funny to watch your face for a split second because you're kind of like, ah, 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 between apps and I can <laughs> see it all happening and yeah, she did it though, girls. Well, welcome guys. back everyone to part two. Days, thems, everyone. Yes. Welcome back to part two to all of the people. <laughs> all of the people. Uh, thank you to the listener who actually emailed us after part one dropped and let us know that Rory Hache's last name is pronounced Hache and not Hash as I originally pronounced it at the beginning of part one. Um, it was a very kind email too. We really appreciated it. It was somebody who was quite close to the case, uh, lived in the area, knew um, somebody quite close to Rory and then actually... I went back and I listened to, because remember I mentioned that Heather Ashley had also dropped a episode about this one on Big Mad True Crime. How does she pronounce it? Hache. Uh, I went back and listened to it and she does pronounce it Hache, but she also calls Adam Strong a 45-year-old shitbag dungeon dweller. <laughs> yep. And that... She also calls herself a reformed dumpster fire, so... Girls got away with words. She has the best way with words. Uh, I still constantly say the lie and the witch and the audacity of that bitch, like, all the time for everything. <laughs> well, it just, it's a banger. And it actually it works caught for on. so much. It caught on in my household because I've heard Brandon say that now a couple of times. And I'm not sure if he knows where it's from, but it's funny when he does. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Anyways. He doesn't need to know. Welcome back to Podcast by Proxy. We did go mini golfing since we last talked to you. Um, and we tied for last, so <laughs> it is what it is. We did our best. Yeah, I had a great time. Yeah, it was it was awesome. And that food was delicious. It was so good. We did. That lunch was so good. Well, like I'm still thinking about it. Yeah, clearly. Lunch was good. We enjoyed our long weekend though, but we're back here to give you part two of this disgusting, disturbing, awful story. Um, just before we get started, a reminder to follow us on socials if you do not already. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok uh, is at Podcast by Proxy. Send us a Gmail with a case suggestion, um, podcastbyproxy at gmail.com. And we love a rating or review on wherever you're listening, uh, specifically Spotify or Apple. Um, and Facebook, actually, I've been really plugging those Facebook reviews, so keep them coming because we do have a business page. Beep, and beep, beep. It does help when people are, you know, stumbling across it and see that we have some people who actually have said they listen to our show. So, totally. yeah, that's very helpful. But um, we left you on such a cliffhanger. I think maybe we'll just hop right into it today. We will, but I just want to say one quick thing. No. So I guess we won't. We won't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, this was more just a reminder for people and like a little PSA, if I do say so myself, that it's getting hot out. And if you even think it's too warm to have your dog out and take him in the car, please don't. Yeah. I work somewhere where a lot of pe- there's a very very large parking lot right outside. So every day I've been seeing more and more people leaving their dogs in the car, 
when it's well into like the 20s and 30s and keep in mind in your car with little airflow that's pretty much double within like two minutes um so just if you think it might be too hot it's better to leave your dog at home and feel a little guilty than give them heat stroke or severely damage them better safe than sorry always yeah no, that's a great... That was it. I just have seen a lot lately, it's a, and it's been bugging me. It's a great PSA, and especially where we live, it went from being, like, quite mild to very hot overnight. And to, like, it August. it can be easy to forget when it's, like, still May that that's a thing, because I think we all just think, like, as soon as it's summer, we think about it, but it's not technically quite summer, even though outside wants it to be summer. So, no, I agree. That's a great PSA. Um we got PSAs all over the place this week. Uh, last last episode, I gave you the motorcycle PSA, watch for bikes. Today, we're PSAs reminding you plenty. to uh, not take your dogs and leave them in the car. So who knows what you're going to get from us next week, but we're just... PSA by proxy. PSA safety announcements over here uh, by proxy. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, last episode, I keep wanting to say last week, even though this was like two days ago. It's hard not to. It's hard. Um, but last episode, I'm not going to hash it out again because we have a lot to get through <laughs> today. Out. I'm not going to do that. Um, so if you haven't listened to part one, you must go listen to part one before you listen to this episode because it won't make sense at all. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> Last episode when we left off, uh, DNA had just been identified on a knife in Adam's home where Roy Hache's remains were found. And the DNA did not belong to Adam and it did not belong to Rory. Um, So now we have a potential second victim. And when the DNA was eventually identified, we know the police matched it with Candace Fitzpatrick, who was another teenager who had been missing from the Oshawa, Ontario area since 2008. Okay. Babies. Yes. Just babies. Candace Fitzpatrick was seen alive sometime last in the spring of 2008. However, she was not reported missing until sometime later. Um, Candace was known to regularly go out of contact with her family for long periods of time for kind of the past year to two years. Um, and the police also would not take a missing persons report from her family at first because she had been living out on the streets on and off and they were just like, is she actually missing? I know. Why? Because someone's transient people immediately think they have no relationship (laughs) with their family and their family wouldn't be able to know if they're missing or something or be able to report them missing. Yeah. It's so dumb. Yeah. They did eventually take the missing persons report. Um, and we will go into Candace's disappearance a little bit more. Uh, but ultimately, Candace was never found. And her father, William Fitzpatrick, spent his life dedicated to finding her after she disappeared. That reminds me of um, a certain... Lindsay Buziak case that we talk about every once in a while. We do talk about it frequently every once in a while. Her dad just to this day is fighting hard for her. Has not given up and he's just yeah get it Jeff Jeff? Yeah Like Rory Hache Candace was a young troubled teenager who was loved by her family. She was 19 years old when she went missing. 
Her father, William, explained that he and Candace's mother had divorced in 2006, and after this, he moved out to Alberta for work, and Candace remained in Ontario with her mother and her siblings. By September of that same year, Candace had gone missing, and William actually returned home from Alberta to try and find her. He did eventually find her and learn that she had been living with friends, and Candace expressed a desire to him to live independently, so her father asked her to keep in touch every few weeks so that he knew she was okay. So she would have been about 17 at this point. What a cool dad, though, just in the sense that, like, he knows his daughter. Like, if he mm-hmm. forces her to do something, it's not going to end well. So instead, he just sets, like, really healthy guidelines and, like, keeps a trusting relationship. Yeah, totally. And I think this is the type of teenager I was a similar type of teenager maybe not as much to an extreme but like yeah yeah, it's 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 easier or it's like more beneficial to just kind of allow them to do what they need to do and keep an eye on them and have those like clear healthy boundaries than it is to just push the no card because they're gonna do it anyway yeah and I'd rather I think any parent would rather know what you're doing and not really approve of it but know you're safe Candace eventually moved back into a family home with her father and her siblings in February of 2008. At this point, her father had moved back to Ontario and she was living there with her siblings until Easter weekend of 2008, so April. Okay. It was at this time that Candace left again, um, except for after this, she was never seen again by her family. Like, this is, she left the house and... So no contact whatsoever now. No, and her father said that there wasn't a fight or conflict at all that would have really caused her to, like, flee the home. She was known to leave for periods of time and then come back. Um, This time, however, she just did not come back. And Hmm. again, he said, like, no fight, no blow-up kind of thing that would have caused her to, like, run away. But uh, it was noted that at the time she was upset because her mom had moved to the U.S. I mean, I think that's fair to be sad about. I think I would have been sad at, like, 19 if my mom was moving out of the country. Yeah. Especially if you're already kind of, like, going through a hard time. Like, Candace was struggling with drugs and addiction and living on the streets on and off at this point. Similar to Rory. Um, and so, yeah, a hard time to feel like maybe your mom abandoned you or, or however she was feeling about that. Yeah. A friend of Candace's noticed, uh, noted, sorry, that during this time frame, she saw Candace three or four times a week at various drug houses and coffee shops. She also saw her at the Refuge, which is the same organization for homeless youth that we talked about last episode that Rory Hache frequented. Oh. Okay. The same, um, yeah, the same organization I was talking about that, like, organized the paintball trip that she went on. and like she same like, location and everything? Uh, yeah, I believe so. It was the same one. Ten years prior. Hmm. Weird. This friend of Candace's stated that she would use drugs with her, inclu- including crack cocaine and drugs taken with intravenous needles. She was also aware that Candace had begun working uh, in the sex trade to fund her addiction so she had begun sex work as well okay her friend stated that candace would sometimes disappear for long periods of time and so when she last disappeared they actually assumed that she had quote sorted herself and moved on 
So they didn't see her anymore and they thought that maybe she had like left that lifestyle behind and she was living with her family and just wasn't doing that sort of stuff anymore. I think it's weird that their first thought that was positive, to be honest. It's possible they were talking about I would just wanting be so to do that. Concerned She's if someone stopped young. appearing. Yeah. Find I mean, I I can't speak to these friends specifically. Um, but I find in situations like this, more than likely those friends are based on circumstance and not people that she had been friends with for a a long time. Yeah. And so I think you just sort of assume when people stop coming around that they're not doing those drugs anymore because they're not coming to find them. I don't, I don't know. I'm just trying to like put my mindset in, in those, um, demographics if you will no i get what you're saying no i agree we can't really speak to it uh police actually conducted a number of database inquiries to determine where candace was Uh, there was no record of her obtaining a driver's license or a passport none of the five major canadian banks had any record of a bank account in her name Uh, social service records in ontario provided a last date of contact in 2007 No other provinces or territories reported social service records for Candace. Medical records in Ontario revealed a last date of service provided on March 20th, 2008. And no other province or territory reported any medical service being provided to her. Now, remember, Candace left their family home in April of 2008 around Easter. The last known police contact with Candace was... Fitzpatrick occurred on June 15th, 2008. Oh. So that's I kind you of said 2007. So at first that's why I was like, okay. No, 2008. So that's like 2 months after she would have left her She's family missing, home, quote unquote. Yeah, so yeah. that is what from what I can find the last known actual like contact with her. Yeah. Okay. In July of 2018, over 10 years after Candace went missing, a press conference was called to announce that a second set of DNA was found at the same Oshawa home where parts of Roy Hache were found and that it was a match to missing Candace Fitzpatrick. So this is the first time that the public finds out that this second set of DNA found at the home was a match to Candace who had been considered missing for over 10 years. Jeez. Yeah. Candace's father, William, was devastated to learn this news and said that he always held out hope that she might be found alive. He was hoping Aww. that she, like, found, like started a new life Papa, for herself and was out years. there somewhere. Yeah, so he was crushed. I just think the times we see someone actually have, like, a medical anomaly is just, like, so minimal I know you always want to be that one person that thinks, you know, someone got in a car accident, lost their memory or something, like some shocking story, but 10 years, it's just... I just feel like when it's your child and you don't know what happened, like you don't have anything to do but... You can't give up. But give, yeah, have hope, like giving up hope is giving up on your child, essentially, so... And I think everyone copes in a different way as well, like that's not to say everyone is going to process it that way, but... Yeah. I do think it is a way to kind of like rationalize staying hopeful and not giving up on that person. No, I agree. I get what you're saying. Again, I had someone in my family missing for 
like seven years. Yeah, I have no idea how how I would take it. I think I think I could go either way. I I wouldn't know unless that happened to me. And we all hoped God it doesn't. Hundred percent. At this same press conference where police confirm Candace's uh, identity of that DNA, Rory's mother, uh, Shannon Dion, expressed frustration. For, I'm just going to re-say that. At the same press conference where police confirmed the identity of Candace's DNA, Rory Hache's mother, Shannon, expressed frustration at the fact that a murder charge had still not been laid against Adam Strong for Rory's murder 10 months after her remains were found. So at this point, it's yeah. been... Sorry? I'm just saying, yeah, like, I also agree. I'd be frustrated, too, if I were her parents. Yeah, exactly. So her her torso was found in September of 2017. The rest of her remains are found in December of 2017 in Adam's basement. And it's July of 2018 now, and he has still only been charged with indecent interference to a body. He had still not yet been charged with murder. Um her mother just said it was a terrible feeling. It felt like her daughter's life had been minimized and didn't matter, but she was confident that a murder charge would eventually be laid. Um, and we know that the police can't lay a charge unless they have absolutely everything tied up in a neat little bow um, so that mm-hmm. nothing kind of slips through the cracks during that trial. So, Well, and we've said it before. like Everybody wants to make sure the trial goes through and charges are upheld. So if they don't have all the evidence to do so, it would be premature to go anyway. Because if you try them and it doesn't work, well, you're hooped. I do see why it would be hard to believe that there's not enough evidence, just given, like, how she was found. Um, But at the same time, like, we're not law enforcement. They still have to build the timeline, though, how they, how it all happened. We gotta let them do their job. There's still a lot they need to prove. Totally. Police also announced at this press conference their plans to dig up the backyard and expand their forensic work at the McMillan Drive property. They asked anyone that could help them document Adam's movements from the mid-1990s until his arrest in December to come forward with their information, and they advised that before renting the basement apartment on McMillan Drive, Adam lived at two other addresses in Oshawa, so they are looking to see if they can connect him with anything else. Like, we found two people and we weren't looking for them, so I guess we should look for more. Really? Shocker. (laughs) They're doing what they should. Yeah, so... Yeah, I I haven't seen evidence of anything really found at any of those other properties. I did see one news article that said that clothing that was found at one of Adam's old addresses was being investigated, but I didn't see any articles like after that confirming anything. So TBD. It could have just been that there was something that looked like blood. Turned out it wasn't. It was nothing. There was no need to follow up. Yeah. Could have been anything. Potentially we just don't know yet and you will find out in a case update next year. Who knows? Ooh. On the morning of November 8th, 2018, uh, Adam Strong is finally taken to court. 
the Crown formally withdrew the charge of causing indignity to the bodies of both Rory and Candace, and he was mm-hmm. rearrested and charged with first degree murder instead for both Rory Hache and Candace Fitzpatrick. Heck, yes, he was. He was. I'm glad they didn't just go with the one that they had a lot of evidence on and call it a day because we see that a lot. Yeah, no, they went with both. Adam was taken for a second time to the police station where he was interviewed by Detective Paul Mitten. Um, At the beginning of this interview, Adam is speaking really casually with the officer like their buddies. Uh, Detective Mitten is encouraging Adam to speak by being friendly with him. Like, he's really going along with this. This is a very experienced, like, good investigator. He actually agrees to order him a three-course meal from Wendy's because Adam was complaining that he hadn't had a decent meal since he was arrested. So? Right? But they want him to talk, right? This first interview did not go well. Like, they had those two officers interview him the first time and they got diddly squat out of the dude and so they bring this guy in and we have all seen these interrogation interviews where you can tell that the cop probably like hates his life that he is having to have this interaction the way that it's going but it's necessary in order to like stroke the ego of this person and get them to start talking also a way to just like Get their guard down. Be like, we're just sitting around having a meal. No big deal. We're just ha- we're just two bros. Yeah. So I am actually going to see if I can play a short clip of this interview.
think that we can just leave it there. Okay, after I said I knew I, this case already, I remember that interview. Oh, do you? I remember because he's, like, talking about the inadequate plumbing, and it's like, no, the plumbing is just fine for water. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, what a shame it is that the plumbing and he's ruined like, well, for his me. day. Yeah, I was actually trying to find the clip of, like, the the Wendy's order or whatever, because he orders literally an entire three-course meal from Wendy's, and then he's, like, upset when it gets there and his, like, poutine is missing or something. It's like, dude, fuck off. Oh, my God. Yeah. Anyways, so I think that that little clip gives us an idea of who we're dealing with. Um, Definitely. And the patience that this investigator had throughout this 12-hour interview. <gasps> 12 hours. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. We've seen juries deliberate for less. Legit. Uh, so we can see that Adam almost comes off, like, proud, sort of, of what he's like, done. Yeah, of course I chopped her up. And, like, annoyed at the bad plumbing that he says got him caught. Um, at one point... And almost it, the way he says it, like, it's the plumbing. That's what did it, isn't it? Ugh, I knew it. Yeah, and the detective's demeanor was very much that the entire time. Like, it's very bro-y, very, like... Yeah, I don't know how he's We're just so cool. hanging out. We're just having a chat. Um, but he also, like, he says to him, you know, you sound kind of selfish and things like that. But um, he's very calm and very patient the entire time, which 12 hours, I can't even, I can't imagine being calm or patient for that long. Um, Detective Mitten ultimately doesn't get a murder confession out of Adam in this interview, but he does get him to admit a number of things that he had not confirmed in the first interview. Like, he really wouldn't talk about it at all in the first interview. Exactly. Like, chopping her up. And, like, adamant about it. Like, yeah, of course I did. You saw it. Right, yeah. Dismembering and and defleshing and things like that. I, I just, I can't even say that without my skin crawling, but... He also, at one point, um, he expresses a desire to make a deal with the police. So during the interview, um, he brings up the possibility of telling the police everything in exchange for a, quote, comfortable stay in jail. He literally is like... He's not going to get away with it. He just wants a comfortable stay. He literally says, I'm not looking for a get out of jail free card or quote $100,000 like Picton. I just want internet access and a TV. Oh, Picton. But like also, fuck you, buddy. Yeah. So yeah, he goes on to tell... I don't know where prisoners get this entitlement. It's disgusting yeah he also goes on to tell detective mitten that he was advised by his lawyer to hold some cards back in order to secure a deal later oh my god i know Uh, but just his overall demeanor like who are you i know and i actually don't have a clip you just want money put in your commissary by who the government because you gave information about someone that you killed? Well, and when he's like, no. I've been floating this by my lawyer and he's not taking it, but I've been tossing up the idea of spilling the beans. Like, how stupid are you? Yeah, it's like, also, everybody is like, 
Those rooms are recorded, and it seems like people still will say the stupidest shit. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a clip of this, but Detective Mitten asked Adam if he felt remorse, like, before that line that he just threw in about, you know, that he would never feel remorse, but, like, maybe you'll realize that you can make some people feel better by, like, admitting what you've done. Um... So he, he asked him at one point if he felt remorse, and Adam replied, quote, I feel bad that I got caught. And Detective Mitten oh, is like, God. and that's where the bad feeling ends? And Adam's like, I think so. So he's upset about the consequences it had on him. Correct. A hundred percent. And only him. Yes. Okay. He is pissed at the plumbing. Hmm. Clearly, it's inadequate. So the murder trial uh, against Adam Strong for the murders of Rory Hache and Candace Fitzpatrick was delayed until 2020. And um, the lead up to this 2020 murder trial was a bit of a clown show, to say the least. In Okay, so for example, in August of 2019, it was reported by the Toronto Star that Adam refused to leave his jail cell for a scheduled video court appearance. He wasn't even being asked to appear in person. He was just... Drag him out. Literally. So this was not the first time that he had done this either, by the way. It also wasn't the first time that he had proven to be like disrespectful in the court process um on more than one occasion he was like offending victims family members refusing to attend via video keep in mind this is 2019 so there's literally no reason why he shouldn't be able to appear in person because covid was not until march of 2020 so like this is pre-vid this is pre-covid he should have been in person uh, he was just being an uncooperative dick and, yeah, just a general asshole. He's a chubby little self-titled man. He was literally he's acting he doesn't want to go anywhere. like this was a big burden for him. Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, Shit. he refuses to come out of his cell to appear on video for a court appearance. Family members are in court in person waiting for this court appearance, by the way. And there's already been, like, I think it said 37 appearances before this and the trial hasn't even started well not to mention all the delays too so just like wondering what's going on yeah for the family so lawyers are in person in court this fucker refuses to go on camera so lawyers approach the judge justice jocelyn spear uh, mm-hmm. and are like how should we proceed when he is refusing to attend and the judge suge- suggested Adam appear in person for his next scheduled appearance. Uh, one of his defense attorneys told the judge that Adam's appearances have been by video for, quote, numerous reasons, perhaps security reasons. Perhaps? What? Are you guessing? If he's not going to be in person, know. you better have a good reason. Like, what? Anyways. Ask his lawyer. Uh... Defense attorney Justin Guile, G-U-I-L-E. Apparently, I can't pronounce last names in this case at all. And then there's also lead defense attorney Tom Baca. And so, yeah, they tell the judge that they're going to encourage Adam to cooperate in the future. Candace Fitzpatrick's father, William, was absolutely sick of this guy's shit at this point. Because, again, these family members have been to 37 court appearances at this point of this guy 
refusing to leave his cell, refusing to go on camera, refusing to cooperate. What a piece of shit. So William Fitzpatrick stands up in court at this point, demanding to be allowed to speak to the Crown Prosecutor, who was Jin Won Kim. When the judge cuts him off, he fires back at the judge and tells her to shut up while pointing his finger at her and then says, quote, bring him in person, you fucking idiots, and storms out of the courtroom, which, like, claps for William. Mike drops. Because, yeah, bring him in person. Why does he even get the option to not be there? I agree. That's why even when it was video, I said drag him out. Yeah. You shouldn't get the option. So William tells the judge to shut up and calls everyone a fucking idiot. Storms out of the courtroom and then Rory Hache's mother, Shannon, stands up after he storms out and says, we've had 37 court appearances. Basically just like trying to drill it into the judge that family members were frustrated that this court process had been dragging on for... Almost three years. And absolutely no movement. Like, nothing's happened. No movement, and this guy is still being just allowed to get away with being a dick. He's, like, throwing temper tantrums as and an getting adult, away with and it. people are just like, oh, that guy. And it's the same point that we've made a few times in the last couple of months of, like, we're so concerned with offenders' rights in the court process, and we are never concerned with victims' rights and their family members and how they are treated in the court process. Like, why do we care if this guy doesn't feel like being in person? Um, yeah. Why do we care? I don't care. Do you care? No. I don't think our listeners care. Okay, three, two, one, pillow screen. Ah! Okay. (laughs) We feel better now? Uh, Another time, actually, I don't feel better because I'm not done yet. Another time, shortly after Adam had been formally (laughs) charged with murder in November of 2018. So after that trial where they withdrew his charges for indignity to a body and they charged him with double murder. Yeah. He he appeared in court by video, and when this brief hearing ended, his lawyer told him that he'd call him in later, call him in jail later to discuss the case. And Adam's response was, "I was up all night. I'm tired. I want to go to bed." Oh, God. Okay. So. After many numerous delays, the trial against Adam Strong finally began on September 28th, 2020. Which is and my is birthday. is there any COVID delays? No, I know. I didn't know if you were going to call out birthday. Ah, that's my birthday. It's pretty much the worst one to have my birthday on. So yay for me. It's never happened in the history of this show since we started uh, calling out birthdays and... I really could have done without this episode being the one. Hey, you chose it. No, uh, delay-wise, I mean, there was a million delays to get there, but September 28th, 2020, the trial did begin. Uh, The day the trial began, it was announced that Adam was being tried for the first-degree murder of both Rory Hache and Candace Fitzpatrick, and he pled not guilty. I think we all saw that coming. Of course he did. (laughs) Yeah. 
Adam was tried by judge alone, and the presiding judge was Ontario Superior Court Justice Joseph DeLuca. Adam's defense did not testify or call a single piece of evidence. None. Okay. Their position, uh, their defense position, was that the Crown had proven he dismembered both Rory and Candace, but that they had failed to prove he murdered either one of them. And that's where their testimony stopped. They were just like, yep. I mean, I get that, yes, that is a valid defense, but that's just, they're like, that's it. That's it. Anything else? No. No, Uh, no, we're done. Do you have anything to to prove or back up that statement? No. Just me. No. Just me sitting here. Going with her gut. Like an asshole. Jesus. Yeah. The Crown prosecutor in this case was Brian Gerton. The Crown alleged that Adam unlawfully confined and or sexually assaulted both girls before killing them. The Crown further alleged that Adam Strong dismembered and disposed of their bodies in order to cover up his crimes. The prosecutor opened by describing the day the plumbers were called by the upstairs tenants and began pulling up the flesh-like substance that they were unable to identify. Those poor plumbers. The detectives who were called to the scene by the plumbers the day of the gruesome discovery testified about that day and what they had found. No need, absolutely no need to rehash that. Data from Google was also presented to the judge, which showed Adam's phone at the Oshawa Harbor on September 4th, which is the day that the Crown alleged he dumped Rory Hache's torso. Makes sense. Yes. Um, And I don't actually know if I included this or if it's going to come up and maybe I'll just have to like omit it. But I was pretty sure after the trial was done, I was done talking about Adam. Um, He in, I believe it was the, I don't know why I'm making this face. In the second interview, I believe it was, he expressed like, or maybe I said this in the first episode. Did I say in the first episode that... He was, like, surprised that her torso was found because he said that he took precautions to prevent it from surfacing. I think you might have. Okay. Well, if I didn't, he said that. He did. Yeah. Yeah. A medical examiner testified that Rory suffered multiple injuries to her body, including two skull fractures. The prosecutor explained that the doctor could not discover a cause of death due to the state her remains were in. The prosecution put forward evidence that Rory's blood was on Adam's bedroom walls and ceilings and that his semen was found on her body. Evidence was also presented that strongly showed Rory had been sexually assaulted around the time of her death as a significant amount of blood was found on a spreader bar which was described as a sex toy used for bondage-style activities. Um, now, without going to... I'm pretty sure I know what that is. Bar, yeah, into this like, said spreader bar. Um, it's just a bar with, like, two handcuffs at either end. The spreader bar in the court transcript was described as an item... Uh, a sex toy used for bondage style activities 
It comprised of four Velcro cuffs connected to a rigid bar, and it was used to secure wrists and ankles. Um, this spreader bar was found in the white storage cubby unit inside Adam's bedroom. Um, and like I just mentioned, there was presence of blood confirmed in separate, seven separate areas of the cuffs um, confirmed to be Rory's. Yeah, that doesn't happen for no reason. Correct. The Crown also called five female witnesses to the stand who testified that they were victims of sexual violence by Adam Strong and explained that a pulley contraption was used to bind and restrain them. Um, so, yeah, he's just using multiple don't weapons. Don't people. I mean, unless that's what they really want, but otherwise don't strain people. Yeah. Um, there was actually a sex box. I think I referred to that in part one. And it was examined. They called it the sex box. It well, was... you said he had a box of sex toys. And I was curious to see what a man would build his box of sex toys with. Yeah. So that box came to be known as the sex box in court or like in association okay. with this case. Um, there was like rubber stuff in there that you would normally find uh mm-hmm. let me look and see if there's any actual okay a black pumpable penis was located hanging on the doorway frame um it looks like besides the spreader bar it was mainly regular sex toys uh however it was noted that they were stained by a liquid of some type um and that there was blood on some of them okay rory hache's dna was found on the penis portion of that black pumpable penis that i was just talking about that's horrible but okay So I don't think I need to go into that any further, but yeah, the sex box was gone through pretty extensively in trial and was like a huge portion of the prosecution's evidence in terms of proving that the girls were sexually assaulted. Um, So yeah. The hunting knife that we spoke about at the end of last episode that had Candace's DNA on it, that was the Wyoming knife that um, we ended up discovering that there was a second victim. This hunting knife was presented as evidence and the prosecution put forth a similar fact application in order to show the court that Candace died in the same way as Rory and by the hands of Adam. So they basically just... I looked up that knife too, by the way. Mm -hmm. It's like a knife used predominantly for, like, skinning large game. Oh, okay. Well. Because I was curious after we talked about it. Right. That's awful. Sorry. No? Yeah, that was a real downer moment on top of a real downer case. Yeah, I mean, nothing is really going to make this case uh, not a downer, so that's fine. No. Played for the court was also both police videotaped interviews with Adam, which I think we can all agree probably didn't make him uh, seem that great. Uh, Probably lent to his awful character. He had a smirk on his face while these tapes were being played for the court. 
I was going to say his complete lack of remorse. Yeah, he just sat there and like smirked and thought it was funny while they played them in front of both girls' family members. The second interview, which is the 12-hour long one, was by far the hardest for the families of the victims to hear. During this interview, besides the awful remarks that we already played, Adam makes um, explicit references to Rory's organs. Uh, His descriptions were so disturbing that family members of Rory sitting in the courtroom ran out in tears. Uh, In the interview as well, which I didn't have a clip for, um, not that I need a clip for all of this, it's just nice to give you as an audio reference sometimes because I don't make it sound like as truly awful with my tone of voice as it was. Um, but he went on and he asked the officer, so how much of her body did you guys get back? So he's referring to Rory and then asks Mm -hmm. a follow-up question of what clogged the pipes. Um, when detective Mitten explained it was large portions of flesh, Adam's response was unfortunate. And then that's when he goes into blaming his arrest on faulty plumbing and, um, that's what got him caught. Yeah, well, because he says that flushing remains down the drain was an effect efficient disposal method, which I assume means that he did it once before. Probably. You know, to his previous victim. Yeah. Okay, so this is what I have in here. He also said that he was surprised that Rory's torso was found in the lake because he had, quote, taken precautions to keep it from surfacing. Do we know what those precautions are? I'm assuming he weighted it in some way or thought he weighted it. I don't know, though. No. I don't even want to know. When Detective Mitten... So these these tapes are still playing. Um, it's the same interview we were talking about before. It's just more information comes the out. 12-hour one. 12 hours long. Yeah, there's a lot to get through. So in this interview, Detective Mitten also tells Adam that Rory was pregnant. Because remember, she was like recently found out she was pregnant. Oh, yeah, yeah. He snaps back and goes, she was not pregnant. I don't want to get into how I know, but I know. I could bet my life there's no way getting around that I chopped her up. So it's like he's saying, I know she's not pregnant because I chopped her up. I saw her. And there was like, it was a fetus, you idiot. Also, she just found out it's like the size of a fucking grape. Well, that's what I mean. At most. You would you're like you have half a brain cell. How the hell would you know? Yeah. And with everything else that's in your body that would be going on right then and there in terms of just like what is inside our guts. Mm-hmm. You no, you would never know. So I think that we've heard enough evidence, we've heard enough interviews, we've heard enough sex box, we've just heard enough. Like, I, I could have, you know, stopped, like, a whole hour ago and been like, yeah, the motherfucker's guilty. But, alas, we present the facts. So the Crown presented all of their evidence to the judge, and in March of 2021, Adam Strong was convicted of first-degree murder in the killing of Rory Hache and manslaughter for that of Candace Fitzpatrick. Based on the evidence presented, the judge found that Adam killed Rory in September 2017 by repeatedly hitting her in the head with a hammer or a similar object, um, because there was like a hammer, but also like a bar, a hard bar found in his um, Mm -hmm. apartment or his suite, whatever. So um, it was determined that that's how she got those skull fractures was with like a hammer or some sort of a hard object. The cause of death was undetermined. However, this conclusion was deduced based on testimony about blood splatter and the items that were found in the basement. 
the judge said that this constituted first-degree murder because it, it occurred in the course of a sexual assault. Uh, so I think that we've spoken about that before, but any murder um, that is committed uh, at the same time as like aggravating circumstances, so a sexual assault would be considered one of those aggravating circumstances, we automatically get a first-degree murder charge. Yes, we do. Yes. So the judge said that the evidence suggested there was a, quote, bloodletting event in Adam's bedroom and the amount of blood found on the spreader bar indicated that Rory was likely restrained while she was being killed. So this spreader bar, the sex toy blood evidence is lending hand to their theory that she was killed during a sexual assault. There were also it takes away even her own ability to like console herself from pain. Correct. Yeah, she was literally restrained. There was also injuries found during Rory's autopsy that indicated she was repeatedly struck in the head and face with a hard blunt object such as a hammer. The judge also found that Adam killed Candace Fitzpatrick in 2008. However, he said there was insufficient evidence for a murder conviction, which is why he found Adam guilty of her manslaughter. Um, which I, I agree is going to be upsetting for some people, but I understand yeah. in this case, given they have so little to go on and are relying so heavily on similar fact evidence. For yeah. her case. The judge also stated in his decision that the fact that both women were dismembered following their deaths and that their remains were stored in a freezer further supported a finding that Adam intentionally killed them. Justice DeLuca said, quote, the chances that Mr. Strong would have twice found himself in need of a chest freezer to just to store the dismembered body parts of young women who met their deaths innocently is so infinitesimally small that it suggests the opposite conclusion. Um, and I chuckled there because I feel like the, ju- the judge is literally just being like, absolutely no fucking way. <laughs> infinitesimally. Infinitesimally. Do you know how many times I had to practice saying that? Um yeah, I couldn't help but chuckle when reading that quote because, like, the dude might as well have just been, like, absolutely fucking not. Why are we even talking not about Not a this? thing. Yeah. <laughs> In May of 2021, so two months after this decision was made, Adam Strong was sentenced by the judge to life in prison without the possibility of parole for 25 years for the murder of Roy Hache. He also received 18 years in prison to be served concurrently, so at the same time, for the manslaughter of Candace Fitzpatrick. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, even if these had been sentenced at the time consecutively, we know that recently the decision was made that concurrent, uh, sorry, that consecutive sentences that would cause an offender to serve longer than 25 years without parole ineligibility uh, are now not allowed in Canada. So even if he had yeah, been sentenced to both deemed. consecutively, now he would be able to appeal that decision and only serve that 25. Justice Joseph DeLuca called Adam a dangerous predator who not only destroyed two vulnerable lives, but also destroyed those closest to them. He spoke to Adam directly in court at sentencing and said, quote, you may never be capable of feeling the damage you have caused. You will never be seen in public again. In the time you will be forgotten, perhaps not by the families of the victims. 
you will be neither famous or infamous. He also stated um, that Adam had, quote, demonstrated in the clearest possible way that there was no reasonable prospect of rehabilitation. So once again, this judge is like, absolutely not. Hell no. Lock them away, throw away the key. I know that's not a thing here, but like I'm making it a thing. Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. Justice DeLuca also ordered that Adam's DNA be submitted to the sex offender registry and ordered that he have uh. no contact with the family of the families of the victims. Adam will not be eligible for parole until December 29th, 2042, which is 25 years after he was arrested at his downtown Oshawa apartment. It is unlikely he will ever qualify for parole. Oh, yeah. And I say I unlikely because it's not this judge's decision, but... Th- it's whoever at the time is the parole panel. They're still going to review this decision. Yeah, and I don't think that... I think seeing that a judge not once but twice was like, fuck this. Mm-hmm. I yeah. hope that plays into their decision. And I'm sure that his own character will help him stay behind bars forever. I'm like, not... Uh, I'm not concerned oh, yeah. that he is not going to make an ass of himself in jail. His arrogance is going to get him in trouble. Yeah. I don't think he's smart enough to, like, behave because it could help him, you know? No. Friends and family of both Rory and Candace spoke at the sentencing hearing. A woman who identified herself as Rory's auntie said she had been plagued by terror and nightmares since learning about what happened to Rory. Rory's mother, Shannon, delivered her statement over Zoom and called Adam a monster who committed a heinous crime against her daughter. She said, quote, I will never see her fall in love, graduate school, be married, and have children. This monster took my angel and mutilated her. He tried to hide the evidence of what he had done. Rory's father, Eric Hache, wrote a written statement that was read in court by the Crown Prosecutor, which read, quote, because of this monster, we will never get to walk Rory or Candace down the aisle. We will never get to be grandparents. We will never get to spend the holidays or birthdays together. You, sir, have brought darkness to everyone. Oh, so sad, and there's so many. Candace's mother, Vicky, said the sleepless nights and worrying as a parent will never disappear, telling the court, quote, I will never know the joy of watching her grow. You robbed the world of a beautiful soul. I hope and pray that one day you grow conscience. Candace's sister, Oksana, wrote a statement that she will never be able to go to her big sister for advice because Adam, quote, decided her life wasn't worth living. Oksana told the court she would never see her sister smile or hear her voice. Candace's father, Bill, or William, as we have referred to him throughout this episode, who dedicated his life to finding his daughter, said um, after she went missing, his... Oh, no. Nope. That wasn't it. Candace's father, Bill, who we have referred to as William throughout this episode, who dedicated his life to finding her after she went missing, read his statement in court and said he was, quote, shattered when he learned Candace's DNA had been found at the home where Rory was found. He said, quote, my family lost someone we all love so much. He took so much from us, end quote. At the time of Adam's sentencing in May 2021, the remains of Candace Fitzpatrick had actually still not been located. So all we had at this point was just her DNA um, and then the rest of the evidence that put together that Adam had killed and dismembered her in his home. 
The judge during sentencing even referenced this, stating that it was unlikely that they would ever be found. That is, however, until February of 2022, so just last year, when the Durham Regional Police announced that its investigators had recovered Candace Fitzpatrick's remains after almost 15 years since she went missing and was subsequently killed by Adam Strong. Candace was... Jeez. I know. Candace was found after Adam told a prison staff member where her <laughs> remains were. Um, and they contacted police and then apparently he accompanied them to the location, which was in the area of Secreto Drive and Britannia Avenue East in Oshawa, and just like pointed with his finger in a general area where he believed he had buried her remains back in 2008 and police did locate her remains. And they confirmed that they did, in fact, okay. belong to Candace. So I don't know That's if he crazy. got, like, a small sense of a conscience or what that was about or if he thought maybe, like, oh, if I quote, maybe that's his spilling the beans and he thinks he's going to get a TV. I'm not sure what the motivation behind that was. That's the only thing I could think of, too, is, like, there's a perk to him giving more Like, he thinks he's going to get his precious internet access in a flat screen. I have no idea. But he decides... A year after he's sentenced, basically, to spill the beans on her remains. Um, and they do locate her, which is so great. Like, at least that provides yeah. some level of closure to her, her family. Her family gets something, yeah. Over the years, Rory's family has rallied for the 19 McMillan Drive property to be demolished. However, as far as the internet can tell, the house is still standing. Um the current owner has owned the home since 1987 and like the mayor can't do anything about it. You can't just demolish someone's home because something bad happened there. Yeah. Um, I understand that it's like awful and heinous and who wants to drive by that every single day knowing full well their child was brutally murdered. But that's still someone else's there. home. It is. And like. Like, we just can't make that call. Oh, I mean, yeah, then what, what do we demolish every single house where something awful happens? It's just a slippery slope. So, house is still there. Uh, Oshawa Mayor John Henry did say, quote, If this had been seized by the government or by the proceeds of crime, if the building had been structurally deficient, that's a different story. In this case, we don't have the tools to go buy the property other than going to the homeowner and buying it directly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that is what it is. That's basically it. Um, the only last kind of, like, fun fact about this case, just a final little note. Uh, Roy Hache's grandfather is a former high-ranking member of Satan's Choice and a one-time member of the Hells Angels. And so I feel like Adam will just have himself sorted out in jail. Mm-hmm. You know, karma's just going to do yep. what it needs to do there. Um, you can't... You will be you handled. You can't brutally murder and dismember a Hell's Angels and Satan Choice member's grandchild. Like a gang member's daughter. And not have some form of repercussion, in my opinion. Nope. Not at so all. So I feel like it's only a matter of time for him, but... That's oh, that. it's probably already happening. Yeah. But that's that. That is part two of... This case, um, it's awful. 
I thought you were telling me one case. No. But I got two. I mean, it's, it is one. It's just, it's yeah. It's the saddest BOGO, but. The worst type of BOGO, for sure. But yeah, Definitely. thank you guys so much for being here for this two-parter again. I know I kind of came at you back-to-back with two two-parters, which isn't common, but <laughs> I appreciate you coming back to listen to both. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, if you're not already, make sure you follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, anywhere you can find us online. Uh, make sure to leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. Apple or Spotify is preferred just because those are kind of like the bigger platforms where we have the most listenership. Um, and that really helps us get traction. And when people are going to check out the show on those platforms, they see that people have liked it and left a review. That's quite helpful for us. Um, is that it? If you have a case you'd like me to cover, this was a case suggestion. Yeah. If you'd like a case you have either one of us to cover, you would like us to cover, um, you can email us at podcastbyproxy@gmail.com. But until next week, I think that's it for me. Yeah, I think that's it. Um, actually, no, one thing. The other day I mentioned a guy locally that's missing and his family's concerned about him named Wayne Dahlman. Uh, he still hasn't been found. Oh my, okay. So, again, if anyone's heard of him, uh, he was last seen in the 2004 Buick Century. He is, I believe, 52 years old. Uh, yeah, uh, he's 175 pounds, 5 foot 9, gray hair, brown eyes. And we can share that post on socials too, hey? Yeah. Yeah, so we'll share that on our story and put the link there just so, um, in case you live in the area, but, Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming out. She wrote. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. I'll call you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye. 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 How do I stop this shit? I'll stop it. (laughs) Okay.